You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of our tactical analysis show, we're going to be breaking down Arsenal's 1-0 win at Burnley. It was a game that lots of people said would be a really difficult one for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. People felt, people were telling us on national radio stations even, that this was the last fixture that Mikel Arteta would have wanted to face right now. So Arsenal coming away with three points and a clean sheet has to be a positive by that logic, right? Surely. So uh, we're going to get into it. We're going to uh, discuss. We're going to break it down. We're going to analyse some elements of Arsenal's game. Really looking forward to doing that because despite it being a narrow victory and despite it, you know, not always being the best performance in terms of aesthetically, in terms of Arsenal going out there and blowing their opponent away, Again, just like the Norwich game, I think there were more positives than the scoreline suggests. And we're going to be uh, digging into some of those uh, during this episode. If you're new to the channel, make sure you subscribe. If you're listening via the audio platforms, make sure you subscribe on whichever one it is you get your podcast from. Make sure you leave us a review if you haven't done so already. And of course, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, hit that like button. It really, really does help. Now, I've made some notes on the things I want to discuss because... I watched the game back today and there was a load of things that I I saw and noticed and picked up on that I really wanted to mention. So I made sure that I jotted them down because what I didn't want to do was record this episode and it's a live recording, of course. So record this episode and then look back at it and go, shit, should have mentioned this, this and this. So uh, I wanted to make those notes and make sure that we covered all the bases and Equally, if there's anything that you don't feel I've covered or anything that you've noticed or spotted or want to discuss or ask about, please do get involved in the live chat box. We'd love to hear from you. So let's start off with the team that Mikel Arteta selected. Now, a lot of us were surprised by it because of the personnel. It was two changes from the side that, of course, beat Norwich City last week. Emil Smith-Rowe and Thomas Partey came into the starting eleven for Albert sambi Lakonga. And of course, Ainsley make their Niles. And you look at you look at you know the, the way this team lined up. And I think a lot of people in the lead up to the game were talking about this being a four three three. And I think at times it looked like a four three three. But having looked at it again, having watched the game back again, my feel now is that this was more of a four one four one than a four three three. Now there were times and there were certain. Uh, you know, moments in the game where we were in a 4-3-3. There were times where we had a back three and Kieran Tierney had pushed right on with Takahiro Tomiyasu tucking in field. But I think the, the shape under Mikel Arteta has always been quite fluid. We've always seen the team shapeshift quite often within 90-minute periods. But for me, although some people will tell you that it was a 4-3-3, I thought this was more of a 4-1-4-1. And I'll come on to explain my reasons why in a little bit. Was it the 4-2-3-1 sometimes that we've seen under Mikel Arteta quite frequently? No, I don't think it was. I don't think at any point did Martin Odegaard or Emil Smith-Rowe drop deep and sit alongside Thomas Partey 
for any period of time. It happened on occasion. It happened at certain moments during the game, but it definitely wasn't the plan from the outset, I don't think. Now, looking at the way Burnley lined up, and I, I haven't bothered filling in the Burnley players' names because who cares? You know they're going to play a 4-4-2. You know exactly what you're going to get from Burnley. It doesn't matter which personnel Sean Dyche picks. But when you uh, when you look at the way Burnley lined up in that 4-4-2 system, maybe that's why Mikel felt that he could play this way, why the 4-1-4-1 was going to work. Because you look at the way Burnley line up and you've still got your four midfield players in Saka, Mesa, I nearly said Mesa Ozil, Saka, Martin Odegaard, Emil Smith-Rowe and Nicolas Pepe, that line of four players across the middle who could match up, who could go toe-to-toe with them. But with that added insurance policy, that is Thomas Partey in between the hole. Now, do I think Thomas Partey would have played the role, or would have played this role against somebody else? No. I think when we've seen Thomas Partey play for Arsenal, normally he's been the one that steps that little bit further forward. And often it's been Granit Xhaka who drops into this space in front of the back four. So I think Thomas Partey was given a very, very specific role today. And that role was given to him because of the threat that Burnley posed. Now, we talk a lot about the terrible start to the season. We talked a lot about some of the mistakes that Mikel Arteta made. And one of the mistakes that I thought was a was a big one was when we went to Brentford and we decided to play the back four and we knew that Brentford had two centre-forwards who were always occupying our two centre-halves. The midfield never got close enough uh, to the back line. We didn't have that player in between the lines there to pick up on any loose balls, on any second balls, and to be that spare man when defending against those two centre-forwards. And I think Mikel Arteta learnt from that. I think he would have looked back at that game and been disappointed that on that night, Pablo Marie and Ben White were constantly occupied by Ivan Tony and Mbwemo, and therefore we didn't have that spare man, that extra body, which I always feel is really, really important if you want to defend effectively. And as a result, we come unstuck. So I think that he would have looked at that and I think this would have influenced the role that he gave Thomas Partey. Now, Thomas Partey was excellent, I thought. You know, a lot of people uh, are a little bit worried about his fitness stuff and and that for me is is obviously a concern. Mikel Arteta speaking a little bit more positively about it post-match. He said that, he felt that he needed to come off. He felt like he was cramping. And that would come because he's not played a lot of football lately, Thomas Partey. There were question marks over whether he was even fit enough to start this game. So to hear that he was cramping late on is not a surprise. Um, but I think you saw what a great player Thomas Partey can be and how effective and important he can be. Because not only did he support that defence brilliantly, I thought his passing was good. And I thought that... Um, his reading of the game was particularly good in order to be able to kind of cut out passes and cut out a lot of Burnley's supply line into those two centre forwards. Let's go on to some screenshots from the game. Um, and, I, and I want to take you through through a few different elements of the game as I saw it. And I guess I'm going to try and break them down into sections to make it that little bit easier. Now, I want to start while we're on the topic of Thomas Partey with his positioning and the specific, very specific role that we all think he was given. Now, Martin Keown highlighted this brilliantly on Match of the Day. If you're in the UK uh, and you've seen it, you'll probably see this as, as familiar analysis. So I don't want to sit here and pretend that, you know, I didn't see a lot of this from Martin Keown because I did. Um, I watched Match of the Day and then I watched the game back. So I guess watching Match of the Day and seeing that analysis from Martin Keown almost conditioned my 
my brain to when I did watch the game back again to spot this particular thing and this particular element of Thomas Partey's play. And so I want to highlight it for you guys as well, because I know a lot of you are outside of the UK and probably haven't had the opportunity to watch match of the day. So we're going to start off by talking about Thomas Partey's positioning. As I say, he positioned himself as part of that back line very, very often. You can see here, this is a set piece that Burnley had in the first half. Um, and if you are listening on the audio and you prefer to come over to YouTube so that you can see the screenshots I'm using, please do not hesitate to do so. I will explain them as best as I can. But of course, there is visual aids uh, to my points if you wish to join us on YouTube. But the ball was launched forward by Burnley. And you can see that the two Burnley centre forwards have, uh, you know, both moved slightly over to the left. You can see they've positioned themselves between Takahiro Tomiyasu and Ben White. Because in Sean Dyche's mind, I'm sure Ben White would have been seen as the weak link. Ben White would have been seen as the one that you can get in and amongst, that you can win headers against, and that you can cause problems. Gabriel is a lump. Gabriel is incredibly strong, incredibly physical, and he's not somebody that you want to engage in a physical battle with, whereas Ben White is a little bit different. And I think that's why you can see the Burnley guys here uh, slightly pulling over to that right side of Arsenal's defence, feeling they could get more joy out of that. But Thomas Partey, very cleverly, and I'm sure this was the manager's instruction, has uh, tucked himself in between the two centre-halves to provide that extra cover, to provide that extra body. And this is a prime example of where you can see the formation that I've been talking about. Now, I know this is a set piece and your shape for set pieces is not always the same as it would be in open play. But you can see that midfield of Pepe, Emile Smith-Rowe, Odegaard and Saka on the left with Aubameyang through the middle and Thomas Partey just dropping into that hole to help out. So that was a common theme in this game. We saw it time and time again. I'll bring you some other screenshots uh, with regards to Thomas Partey. Here's another one where a long ball was played forward by Burnley. Again, Chris Wood and Barnes, I think it was the two Burnley centre forwards, have pulled out to the left hand side, uh, to the right hand side. Arsenal's left-hand side, sorry, this time. Gabriel is challenging. Ben White's had to shift across. But again, you can see Thomas Partey in the vicinity. Thomas Partey making sure that if he can't challenge, if he's not going to be the one to get off the ground and try and challenge the Burnley centre-forward, he is going to be right there or thereabouts. He's going to be in the mix to pick up any loose balls. Because again, going back to that Brentford game, we really struggle to deal with the second ball. And Burnley play this way. Everybody knows Burnley play this way. And so had Arsenal not prepared for this, I think you could have sat there and said this was really poor management. But it's clear that they recognise what Burnley's threat is. It's not just about the first header. It's important that they win those initial headers and it's important that they cause the centre-halves to make mistakes, of course. But a lot of their game is about the second balls. And I thought Arsenal did uh, really well, in particular Thomas Partey, again, to make sure that he was there to provide support to the two centre-halves. Again, um, you'll see another example of Burnley in the second half. This was right at the start of the second half. Cross was about to come in from the right-hand side. And again, Thomas Partey drops into the penalty area and provides cover at the near post. You can see that Gabriel is, uh, is dealing with the Burnley striker. He can't allow Gabriel to try and cover the near post area and prevent the cross and also mark his man. So Gabriel is unable to go out there. Therefore, Thomas Partey fills in that hole. And another observation from this particular clip, uh, clip is how closely Takahiro Tomiyasu positions himself to Ben White. Because again, Bernie would have identified Ben White as an issue 
in the air as a potential weakness. And Takahiro Tomiyasu is on hand to use his physical presence to help Arsenal out. Another example of this, this thing again, Partey, again, part of the back line. And you can see that Odegaard is, is tracking on the edge of the box. So he's doing his job. He's doing the job that Partey would normally do. Uh, but you see Partey again. And who's he gone near? Nobody worries about Gabriel dealing with the aerial threat. But Arsenal are doing everything they can to protect Ben White. And this time, Thomas Partey is there to help not just Ben White, but Takahiro Tomiyasu, who has a, a player in and around him. So I thought that was really key. I thought that was really positive. Um, and I thought that, Arsenal did brilliantly, uh, in my opinion, to nullify what it is that Burnley like to do. Now, we see it so often from them. It shouldn't come as a surprise, but it's one thing talking about it. And it's another thing coming up with a plan and a, a sort of, you know, an idea in order to stop it happening and stop it causing you problems. We talked on the podcast the other day uh, with Mike McDonald about some of Mikel Arteta's philosophies and, and how we felt that or how Mike felt that he'd kind of found what it was that Arteta was trying to do. Now, whether you agree with it or not, one of the things that Mike McDonald talked about was familiar patterns of play. That is something that Mikel Arteta is clearly, uh, you know, very, very big on. And I think you saw uh, a couple of instances of this again on uh, on Saturday. Here's, here's one example. Martin Odegaard in the midfield picks up the ball. Bakayo Saka, you can see there, who's playing on the left-hand side, has drifted infield. He's taken defenders inside, created the space for Kieran Tierney. But it's all good Kieran Tierney making those runs and getting into those positions. But you need the vision and the ability to pick out that pass. And Martin Odegaard does that excellently in this instance. There was another moment, I thought, where Odegaard picked out a really positive pass. Again, you can see Odegaard's position in here. Just what? five yards right to the referee. He's under pressure here. He's got two Burnley shirts around him. But to spot Nicolas Pepe, having pulled off his man and created a little bit of space, and then to execute that pass is fantastic play from Martin Odegaard. And he's got the kind of range and, and vision that this midfield has quite simply been lacking for a long, long time. You know, yes, we talk about him playing in that deeper role and what he did in that role yesterday specifically. And I thought he was... Very, very good. I thought he was one of Arsenal's best players. I thought he dictated the tempo of the game for large periods, especially in the first half. But I think get Martin Odegaard on the ball and he will create things for you. He will create moments. He will create situations. Unfortunately, so far this season and for large periods last season, we weren't good enough to always make those moments count. But you have to say that at the very least, um, he is he is creating those scenarios and now it's over to the forwards i guess to really kind of make their mark and make their stamp and and you can see this you know burnley defend with a really really narrow back four okay really narrow you can see all of their four defenders are within arm's length of each other they're so close and i talk a lot on this show about the need to defend the width of your penalty area actually burnley a lot of the time they defend the width of their 6 yard box that is how they set out that is how they see it and so it's imperative that when players like Nicolas Pepe do find a little bit of space on that right-hand side, just, you know, six or seven yards away from the, the defender, that somebody like Martin Odegaard, A, spots it quick enough, and B, plays the pass accurately enough so that Nicolas Pepe is able to bring it under his spell by the time he's closed down. So really, really good stuff uh, there from, from Odegaard again. 
before I move on, I should have touched on this a little bit earlier on, but you know, when I was talking about Arsenal's defence and how we coped with it, I, I touched on Takahiro Tomiyasu just briefly, but there's a couple of bits uh, that I wanted to show you. And there was this moment in particular in the first half where a ball came over the top and Burnley were almost in and it was a almost a, a Burnley striker sandwich, wasn't it, between Takahiro Tomiyasu and Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is the one who gets his foot on this, who clears it. But look at Tomiyasu covering him. You know, we talked a lot in the lead up to Tomiyasu joining the club and, and when that deal was done about where he would play, where would he fit in? Was Mikel Arteta bringing him in as a right back or was he bringing him in as another centre back? And actually, I think what we've seen from Takahiro Tomiyasu in the last couple of games is he's the perfect hybrid between the two positions. And I think given how specific Mikel is in his instructions to Kieran Tierney, that is exactly what he's been after. It's what he's been looking for. It's probably why he's not been able to make his mind up on whether he wants Chambers, Cedric or Bayern, uh in that position when they were all available to him. And Tommy Asu just seems to fit the bill perfectly. He's got the physical attributes that a centre-back has. He's got the reading of the game that a centre-back has. He can also get forward. He's also very, very intelligent, but he's very, very committed. And I love that he came across here. I know Gabriel's the one that made the challenge, but I thought this was really, really good uh, from Takahiro Tomiyasu. And I just didn't want to uh, go beyond uh, that part of the show without touching on that. Um, although there were a lot of positives from Arsenal defensively, and I talked about those patterns of play, and I talked about Martin Odegaard being able to pick people out at, at will and almost executing those passes flawlessly to get us into the situations and scenarios that we want to be in. I do think that there was still a little bit of a lack of cutting edge when it came to the final third. Now, this was not down to Arsenal not creating the right situations. I think there were a, num a number of occasions where we got bodies in the box, where we created overloads. But unfortunately, yesterday, for whatever reason, those final passes were just not happening. You know, we saw passes being played behind strikers. Uh, Mikel Arteta talked about the grass being long. Um, and how, you know, suggested how that slowed the ball down and caused us a problem, meant we couldn't play with the same zip and tempo that we'd like to. But there was a real disappointment on my part at seeing us create these situations and scenarios and not really being able to expose them because our final ball was either poorly executed or the player playing it had taken the wrong decision. But, you know, there was clear signs that Arsenal you know, are getting bodies in the box now. You know, if you think about last season, there were large periods where we were, were saying, what's the point in playing this crossing game? What's the point in working this overload on the left-hand side over and over and over again, but never getting the bodies in the box to go on and, and make something happen? And I thought there was a couple of examples yesterday of where Arsenal did get the bodies in the box. But again, the execution of that final pass wasn't just right. This is the first example. It was a situation that I showed you a little bit earlier on. So it came here. Uh, sorry, not that one. It came from this ball from Martin Odegaard out to Kieran Tierney on the left-hand side. Kieran Tierney got beyond his man, cuts the ball back. And look, you can see Saka on the edge of the box. You can see Aubameyang waiting at the far post. You can see Nicolas Pepe having made a run from out to in from the right-hand side to get onto the edge of the six-yard box. And then Emil Smith-Rowe following in at the far post as well. So Arsenal have one, two, three, four players and one right on the edge of the penalty area. Um, 
as as they're trying to make something happen and trying to break Burnley down. And you can't always say that was the case uh, for Arsenal last season. So that's clearly something that's been worked on. Obviously, having Thomas Partey playing that slightly different role where he is almost that insurance policy uh, means that you can commit more of your central midfield forward and you can see Odegaard in the picture there as well as Smith Rowe being able to go out to the right knowing that Thomas Partey's there. So it's all intertwined. It's all related. And then I'll take you on to another screenshot where, again, this time it was Nicolas Pepe who cut the ball back in field to Emil Smith-Rowe. But again, Arsenal have bodies in the box. Smith-Rowe coming in at the near post, Saka in the centre and Aubameyang lurking at the far post. So there's clearly an emphasis now uh, from Arsenal in getting more players into the penalty area, getting more bodies into the penalty area. And if we could only... Uh, execute those final passes a little bit better and be a little bit more mature and ruthless in our decision-making. I think we'll see Arsenal uh, click into gear eventually. Before I continue, uh, because there's a couple more tactical bits I want to touch on, and then we're going to take some of your questions and thoughts from the live chat. I can see some of you asking in the chat, is this live? Yes, I am live. Uh, so get your comments in uh, if you want them read out. Make sure you hit the like button as well if you haven't done so already. In fact, uh, let's uh, check where we are in terms of likes right now, because likes really, really do help the channel. They really help get the video out to more people. As Afsar says, moon the likes. Yes, please do. Uh, we have currently got just 42 on the board. Surely we can get that up to 100 between now and the end of the stream. That should be uh, really, really easy. Um, yeah, going back to the, uh, the analysis part, uh, the other final thing I wanted to touch on uh, was was Arsenal's unwillingness to drive with the ball and run at people. And I was particularly disappointed to see Emil Smith-Rowe not do that as frequently as I'd like. Because one of the things I've always said I really enjoy about watching Smith-Rowe is that he's fearless in that sense, that he picks up the ball and he drives at defences and he commits bodies and he makes things happen. And I didn't think Arsenal did that anywhere near enough yesterday. When you break the lines, when you break that midfield line and you turn and you're facing your opponent, I want to see players who dribble with the ball, carry it, drive at people, make defenders commit and therefore create spaces for others. I think that's something that Jack Grealish, for example, is incredibly effective at doing. He carries it, he carries it, he carries it. He sucks three or four players in and he knows just at the right moment to release the ball. And he's created a ton of space for his teammates around him. And I just think that Arsenal need to do this a little bit more often now. Bukayo Saka was probably the only player that done this on a couple of occasions yesterday, having watched the game back. Didn't think his performance was great. Didn't think Aubameyang's was great. Didn't think uh, Pepe's was great. Didn't think Smith-Rose was great. But Bukayo Saka, at the very least, did do this. He did drive at people. And this was in the lead up to Arsenal's goal. Uh, the ball was played into Bukayo Saka, who turned away from Josh Brownhill, and he drives. Um, let me take this back a notch. Hold on. I think I've put you the wrong. No. No, that's the one. Confusing myself. Got too many screenshots in the archives. Uh, yeah, look, this is Bukayo Saka. He turns away uh, from his man, Josh Brownhill, and he starts charging at the Burnley back line. Now you can see how worried Burnley are about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang here because you've got Tarkovsky and me who have both, uh, you know, moved towards Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Lotan is covering on the outside as well. So that's three players being taken away by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's run. 
On the right-hand side, Saka's got Smith Rowe, 10 yards square of him, and he's got Nicolas Pepe on the outside. So just by turning your man and driving at the defence, you've created a whole variety now of possibilities. You can either slip in your teammate. You can either have a shot yourself. You might draw a foul. And that is exactly what Bukayo Saka does. He draws a foul out of the Burnley man. And then from that free kick, Martin Odegaard, of course, opened the scoring. But when you can't, when you pass the ball left, right, back again, left again, get it back, right, back. When you do all of that stuff over and over again, you never actually pull anybody out of position. A back four, like Burnley's, who like to play very narrow, very compact and very deep, don't want people running at them. Because the moment you run at them and you run into those spaces, if you're a Burnley centre-half, alarm bells start ringing. Right, what do I do? Do I go and confront him? I have to go and confront him because if I don't confront him, he might get a shot off and hit the back of the net. I have to go. I have to step out of this defensive unit. And that is exactly what Sean Dice, the manager, doesn't want. He wants that defensive unit. He wants Burnley to be compact, to sit in that back four on the edge of their own penalty area and make it very, very difficult for you. But the minute you do something that forces one of them to question what it is they should be doing, should they step out, should they stay in the back line, you're onto a winner because you either drag them out and you create space, you win a foul potentially, or, you know, you can slip in a teammate. Or you've got the time to have a shot from the edge of the penalty area with no one coming out to confront you. So the minute you turn and you get on the front foot and you take the game to people, you are in the advantage. It's advantage attacker. And I thought that Bukayo Saka doing that was instrumental for Arsenal there. Because I do think had he not been fouled, Arsenal still would have probably had their best moment of the game in terms of transcreation off the back of him turning and and running at the defence. And there was another example of him doing it again, stepping in from a slightly wider position infield and again, confronting the Burnley back four. And you can see Aubameyang makes that run through the middle and you can see Emil Smith-Rowe continues that run. Eventually Aubameyang helps it onto Smith-Rowe. And let's be honest, he's got to do better with the finish. He really has. But for me, I think it's so important that players get the ball, turn and drive at people. It's so key if you're going to break teams down. I, I really do feel that. I think if you play left and right and left and right and left and right, then, uh, you, you know, you're allowing your opponent to have a bit of an easy afternoon. You're allowing them to sit off you and uh, and just mark the spaces. So there you go. That concludes uh, some of my tactical analysis from Burnley nil, Arsenal 1 at Turf Moor. The Gunners registering a second successive Premier League victory keeping a clean sheet in the process as well. Right, get some of your questions in. I can see there's a few in the chat box already. So let me pick up some of those. Uh, let's take this one um, from Steve Stone. He says, many fans are asking for Saka to be rested. What are What is your opinion with regards to this? Um, look, I think that Bukayo Saka is a player that, and I said it on the post-match reaction podcast. If you haven't checked it out already, you can do so. It's the last video. On the channel, it's the last podcast in the stream, uh, stream in the uh, on the audio platforms as well. I don't think Bukayo Saka is at the top of his game right now, but I've always seen Bukayo Saka to be very involved, very brave, but sometimes not necessarily making the right decisions in the right areas. 
and not always as clinical as I'd like him to be. So I'm not surprised by the form that Bakayo Saka is going through right now. Obviously, all that stuff at the Euros and obviously, you know, will have taken its toll on him. He's a young man. And I think as Mikel Arteta alluded to, and, you know, part of that will have been Mikel protecting his player, which he should do. He says, you know, physically, he's not not quite 100% there yet. There's still a long way to go. And, you know, the fact that he's having brilliant spells in and amongst the bad spells is a positive sign, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I do think that Saka probably should get a bit of a breather now. I think he will get a breather against AFC Wimbledon. I don't expect him to play in the Carabao Cup. And then, it, you know, he's got a week to get himself ready for the North London derby. But I think he brings a lot to this team. And I think Mikel Arteta is very much of the opinion that this is my team going forward. This is my young team that I'm looking to develop and take on. And sometimes that's going to happen. I think Mikel Arteta's expectations of some of these players are not the same as ours. I think he knows he's got time. He knows that this is a long-term project. He knows that the club are backing him in it. And he feels like there'll be a longer-term benefit to keeping someone like Bukayo Saka in the side, even when he is going through a bit of a difficult moment. And and I think as fans, we don't have to agree with that, but we probably should be a little bit mindful of it than we currently are. I'd rest him, yes. I think that he has shown signs of this kind of fatigue thing, if that's what you want to call it, uh, at the back end of last season as well. So given the busy summer he had, I'm not surprised it, it, he's not at 100% just yet. Uh, let's take uh, this one from um, the Modern Gune. He says, how interesting is Ramsdale's movements using momentum in touch with gravity? Look, I was super impressed with Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, not because he'd done anything particularly spectacular yesterday, just because of the dominance that he shows in his penalty area. I said it on the post-match show, so I don't really want to repeat myself, but I love goalkeepers that come and take the pressure off their defences. I love goalkeepers that come out and catch things. I love goalkeepers that constantly communicate. And there were a couple of instances when we were watching the first half yesterday where crosses came into the box. There was a couple of low crosses in from Burnley. And, and Gabriel, I think it was, was at the near post and could have quite easily just swung a boot at it and cleared it and might have done previously. But he clearly got the call from Ramsdale because he he let it go and, and Ramsdale then gathered the ball. And I think that kind of communication is what you need to see between your centre-half and your goalkeeper. And I'm not saying Bern Leno never does that because I can't hear every single word that our goalkeeper says on the pitch. But I do feel like there was a lot more of it with Ramsdale. And I think it's really... Um, it's really uh, helped secure that back line a little bit. And I think the back line are feeling a lot more confident with him in between the sticks. And look, I wasn't sure whether we should sign Aaron Ramsdale. You know, I felt that 25, 30 million pounds was, was too much money for him. Part of that was because I felt like we had other areas that needed addressing and it would be a little bit naive and maybe irresponsible to spend that kind of money on Aaron Ramsdale. But based on what we've seen so far, and granted it is very little, it is a small sample size. I think that I think that he's done okay. And I think that you can see why Arsenal were keen on him. You can see that Arsenal are trying to bring in certain characters. You know, Takahiro Tomiyasu, another one. He was out on his feet at the end of the game, you know, dropped to the ground in relief, which proves to you that he gave absolutely everything. So uh, fantastic uh, to see that. And I think you can clearly see that there is a different character among the group. There is a new core, a new spine. It's going to take time, I think, to get to where we want it to be. But, you know, although they weren't the most 
convincing of victories in terms of the scorelines. I never felt we were going to lose to Burnley at any point in that game. And I never thought, felt we were going to lose to Norwich at any point in that game either. So, um, yeah, small steps. If you told everybody before these two games, would you just take two 1-0 wins? I think everybody would have taken it. Let's move on. Um, Chibuzo Obi says, Ben White has the confidence of David Luiz, and I love that, but he needs to quicken his decisions. Now, I criticised Ben White quite a bit on the post-match reaction podcast because I, I, I hate it when defenders get basics wrong. You know, and I understand the need to to have ball players there. I understand the desire to progress the ball uh, that little bit better and why somebody like Ben White fit the bill, especially given that we lost David Luiz. And I watched the game back again and perhaps on reflection, I was a little bit harsh on Ben White's overall game because I think he did do a lot better than I kind of initially thought in terms of some of the jewels that he was involved in and in terms of his positioning. But there were still a couple of moments where he dilly-dallied on the ball a little bit and almost got caught out. There was one in the beginning of the second half where he got caught in possession uh, pretty close to the edge of our penalty area. And there was another moment, obviously the one that led to the penalty, which was rightly uh, chalked off, where he played a casual pass back to Aaron Ramsdale that was just simply too short. And he wasn't aware of what was going on around him. Now, for me, some of those things are going to occur from time to time when you insist on playing out from the back. But things like a sloppy back pass, I, I can't accept. You know, I'm not going to accept. I think it it's poor. I think there will be games, as I said on the show yesterday, that suit Ben White a lot more than Burnley away. And I've highlighted moments during this show where I felt like Arsenal did more in order to protect his lack of aerial threat or lack of aerial ability. He's not threat, he's defending. Uh, but I do I do think that Arsenal were aware of that and understood that and tried their best to compensate for that. Will he come good? I'm sure he will. But there were a few moments yesterday with Ben White that I was a little bit frustrated with. I am frustrated that he, he takes long on the ball sometimes. I feel like every time he gets the ball, his first thing is get it under control. And then he puts his foot on the top of it and just basically stops and looks for the option. And one of the things I hoped he would bring to the side was greater ball progression from the back line. I think that when you have a midfield that consists of Odegaard, Smith-Rowe and Partey, who are all technically very gifted footballers, you want to see him give the ball into their feet and Arsenal to build from that. And we didn't see that happen often enough. So that was my my criticism of Ben White. Let's take uh, a couple more uh, of your questions before we wrap up. Alex McCarthy says, uh, is it time for Arsenal to find a replacement for Pepe? Constantly frustrating, struggles to take on players and no composure. Pretty much every winger I watch is a proper winger with abilities. Alex, I respectfully disagree here because Nicolas Pepe didn't have a great game yesterday, but he managed to chip in 16 goals last season, which is a very good return. Scored more goals than Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. He makes things happen most of the time. He's involved most of the time. He is one of those players who is a little bit awkward on the eye sometimes and you wonder what it is he's going to do. But I think his unpredictability is one of his his best attributes. I think that when you, you know, we talk about him playing yesterday and, and not playing very well. I don't think any other front line played very well yesterday. But I thought against Norwich, although again, he received criticism I thought that he was the one that always looked the most likely, the one that always looked as though if we were going to score, 
it was going to come from him. And that goal that we scored against Norwich came from Nicolas Pepe hitting the post of a wonderful effort, having cut inside onto his stronger left foot. So I don't think Nicolas Pepe is as bad as people are making him out to be after yesterday's performance. I think it was a poor performance in terms of his, uh, you know, in terms of what we know he can do. But I don't think he was the only one. And I think it's a little bit harsh probably to, to pick him out. Uh, let's say a big hello to the guys over at the Gallagate Shots Wicked Newcastle United podcast. So if you're interested in anything Newcastle United, please do uh, head over to the Gallagate Shots. They're also part of the 90 Min Football Network. Massive shout out to Chris and all the team over there. He says, want to swap Arteta for Steve Bruce? Oh, uh, there's a lot of Arsenal fans that want to swap Arteta, but I'm not sure Steve Bruce is going to cut it. Uh, <laughs> we'll go from Arteta ball to Brucey ball. Uh, let's see um, what else we've got in the chat. We'll pick up a couple more bits. A big shout out to Arsenal hero, uh, Arsenal legend, the one and only Mr. KC, Kevin Campbell, who says, hope you're well, Harry, and have a super Sunday. Always remember when one part of the team starts improving, our deficiencies get highlighted. Our forwards need to have a lot more movement. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, I guess from my perspective, though, KC, looking at it again yesterday, watching the game back, I feel like there were so many moments where we did create the overload, where we did get an extra body on the be it on the left, be it on the right, where Aubameyang, who didn't have a great game in my opinion, pulled people out of the way and and created spaces, like in that instance for the free kick for other players. So I do think that some of the stuff is there, some elements of the attacking player there, but the final ball yesterday wasn't there, and the decision making is not there, and and I think it's definitely an area in which we need to improve. But look. I don't want to go over old ground again, but I made the point. Um, I made the point over and over again yesterday and over and over again over the last couple of weeks. If you're going to rely on Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, two young lads to always be clinical, to always make the right decisions at this stage in their careers, then you're setting yourself up to fail. We need more. We need the senior boys. We need Pepe. We need Laka. We need Oba to step up in that department. And those games that Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe had yesterday, those types of performances, they're going to come. You know, they're going to happen. And they're going to happen a lot more frequently than you would get from a more experienced footballer. But that's part of their development. That's part of their growth. It just feels to me like we are, um, you know, we're too heavily reliant on them. And as the season goes on, I think we'll see this kind of display time and time again and I don't want them to be getting the criticism for it because it's perfectly natural for them to be inconsistent at 19 20 years old that's not out of the ordinary what's out of the ordinary is expecting to get into Europe while relying on two players of that age profile in my personal view but uh, thank you as always Casey for tuning in and uh, for your uh, support of the show really really appreciate it uh, let's take a couple more bits because I did see a couple of interesting questions in the chat box. Um, let me see what I can get. Uh, Jid says, don't you think that people are so desperate for the Partey hype to be true? Um, since hardly any Arsenal fan watched him consistently enough pre-Arsenal, that his above average performances are being overblown. Um, look, I, I didn't say like yesterday wasn't the best Thomas Partey performance I've ever seen. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just felt like he was given a very specific role which is what we highlighted. And, and I think that he did that very specific role very, very well. And I think credit where credit's due because the manager would have had a part in that as well. Uh, so I think for me, you know, I, look, 
it's just frustrating, isn't it? Because we signed Thomas Partey, not this summer, the summer before, and we're still yet to see him fully fit at 100%, running the midfield and, and really dictating our play. He's just not got there yet. And it's so, so frustrating. Um, you know, it really, really is to see that. But fingers crossed, hopefully we've seen the worst of it. And hopefully, you know, he can recover. Again, he's another player I wouldn't play in midweek. I'd give him until next week to recover. And a week between matches might benefit the likes of Thomas Partey. And uh, probably somebody like Kieran Tierney as well. And we'll just touch on this one before we go uh, from JO4, who says, do you think if Tierney continues the season how he has, Tavares deserves an opportunity? So Kieran Tierney's been getting a bit of criticism in the last couple of weeks. I don't think he's been at his absolute best, but I don't think he's been bad either. Um, I think there were questions over some of his defending against Chelsea, but I felt that that was largely to do with the way we were set up as a team and the shape and people not covering and filling in areas. I don't think, as I say, I don't think Tierney's been at his best, but I don't think Tavares will get opportunities because Tierney is not at his best. I think Tavares will get opportunities because Kieran Tierney isn't going to stay fit all season. You know, Kieran Tierney cramped up again yesterday and had to go off and fingers crossed there's nothing more sinister there. But I think that that's why it was imperative that we brought another left back in because whether Tierney wants to or not, whether Mikel Arteta wants to give Tavares opportunities or not, He's going to get them because Kieran Tierney's fitness record is incredibly poor. And uh, and that's just the way it is. I know a lot of Arsenal fans are, you know, very reluctant to criticise him. And it's not a criticism of his ability. It's just that physically he, he clearly isn't up to it because he breaks down so frequently. And that is something that Mikel Arteta, if he wants to persist with Kieran Tierney, has to take into consideration and therefore had to make sure this summer that he had sufficient cover uh, for the uh, event or in the event that he was out. Right. We are going to leave it there. We've been going for around about 40 minutes or so. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the channel. If you are new, we'd love uh, to have you subscribed. If you want to go one further by becoming a member of the channel, you can do so by clicking the join button. If you're watching us via your computer or via the link in the description, as I say, it really, really helps. It supports me to bring you more Arsenal-related content much more regularly, much more frequently. And uh, I do really appreciate every single one of you. So check it out. Check out the membership proposition if you like. Don't forget to smash the like button. Let's have a quick look where we are in terms of that. We've got over 300 of you watching us right now across the multiple platforms, but we only have 80 likes on the board. Come on, let's get that to that magic 100 mark. There's only, it only needs 20 of you to hit the like button. And guess what? It's free. It doesn't cost a thing, but it really, really helps. Um, let me just uh, get this super chat before I, I jump off from Daniel. Daniel, thank you so much, mate, for your very, very kind super chat donation. Very much appreciated. It says, hi, Harry, love the breakdown. Can you give Omar Yahia a shout out, please? Big shout out to you, Omar, uh, another one of our regular viewers and listeners. Uh, thank you all so much. We'll be back very, very soon. In fact, we'll be back tonight with this week's edition of The Social Club. I'll be joined by Dan DeLuca and Simon Alavi from an outside point of view on the Arsenal, but also we'll be talking about some of the big stories from the Premier League this weekend. Come and join us for that live at 10pm. Until then, take care. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. 
I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. 